Hello and welcome to episode five of Three Point Podcast and our three generations of takes. I'm Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 Radio. On the phone with us is Matt Burns of ESPN. Jared Fattel of Fat Stack Sports and WJSZ is right here in the studio with me. And tonight we'll also be joined by our special guest, Jack Strap again, and one of his commentaries. This is a three-point podcast, and each of us has brought a topic to the table this week. And let's start the pod conversation with Matt. All right, guys. You, you know, I, I've talked about it a lot. I'm a, I'm a big NBA fan. I, I do like college basketball, but I, I think uh, I'm more an NBA fan. I wanted to kind of get, get your guys' thoughts on something that's kind of become, I guess, a hot-button thing in the NBA recently with, with all these super teams. You know, they, they talk about Durant joining the Warriors and, and Paul George and Carmelo joining up with Russell Westbrook. And uh, a few days ago, uh, Damian Lillard came out. I mean, he's an all-star. He's one of the best point guards in the league. And he came out and basically went to his management uh, in Portland, basically said, hey, what, what are we doing here? You know, I'm, I'm in the prime of my career. I'm an all-star. I'm one of the best point guards in the league. But I think he sees the writing on the wall. There's, there's no chance they have of beating the Rockets, the Warriors especially, or even, you know, the Spurs are always there. So, you know, you have one of the best point guards in the league going to his management saying, you know, where, where are we going with, with this franchise? I don't want to waste my career here. Jeff Van Gundy a few days ago in uh, one of the broadcasts, he came out and he basically said, not quoting his words, but in a way he said, this era of basketball is some of the best basketball, but as far as the parody, the drama, some of the worst basketball. Because there's, it, it's almost a foregone conclusion that if the teams are at full health, going to be Cavaliers and Warriors again, and full strength, there's no way that anyone can beat the Warriors. So at the NBA, the, the quality of play is maybe at the highest level that it's been, but the parity, it, it's just not there. You know that the top four or five teams are the teams that are going to be in it come, come the end. And, uh, you know, so sometimes it's like, what, what does this regular season even mean? So, you know, I, I love it. I love the NBA, the, the high-level games, once, once the playoffs come around especially, you know, it's fun to watch. But, you know, when, you, when you're those mid-level market teams, I mean, even the Pistons, the Trailblazers, and some of these other franchises – I mean, do you really have a shot unless you build one of these quote-unquote super teams? What do you guys think? Is it bad for the Pistons? Yes. So that, that kind of stinks. But I do think it's good for the NBA in, as a whole. You look at the past, when they've been the most popular, it was it was Magic and Bird, when those teams were in the finals every year. And I would say this is probably the second most popular it's ever been with LeBron and the Cavs and the Warriors every year. Celtics. And, yeah. Oh, wait. Could you Coming say up. Again? Celtics now. Oh, I no That's way. That's a topic for another day. Okay, but, but it's just it's it's my I love watching it. It's I mark my calendars for that month long. I love how they drag it out for a month. The month long finals that is just it's must watch TV. It is. I guess that's what I was gonna say. You know, I I love it because yeah, there are some games obviously during the regular season that you know maybe aren't aren't really that intriguing when it's the Magic versus the Bucks. You know, whatever. You know, it's not that intriguing of a game. But come playoff time, and that's some high-level basketball, and I like it. And that's what I was going to say, too. Maybe it wasn't as televised or maybe with social media and everything we have now. Um, you know, everyone knows about the super teams. But th- this kind of thing did happen back in the day, right, like you said, with the with Magic and the Lakers, with the Celtics. I mean, even you could say the Bulls with, with Jordan and Pippen. Without a doubt. Got Rod- yeah, they went out and got Rodman, you know, so they could kind of build their, you know, super team, I guess. Even the Pistons with the bad boys, they made a move and got uh, Mark Aguirre because they needed another scorer there. So it, it might not be on the level, or it might not have been on the level that it is now, but I feel like the super team thing was always kind of around, but maybe just a little, little uh, 
more than it used to be. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I, my opinion, I like it. I love watching these teams. I love watching Durant and Curry go out there and score 140 points. It's fun to watch. You know, I have, I don't really don't think it has changed all that much. I, I'm kind of looking at it as an exception. I don't think it's changed that much in the NBA since maybe around 1980. There's always been, like Jared brought up, the super teams, and there's really going to only be, even when the season starts, two or three teams that are going to have a chance to win the NBA title. I'm, I'm just looking at uh, the NBA champions, and you got to go all the way back to 1979, the Seattle Supersonics against the Washington Bullets. Other than that, it's Lakers, Celtics, uh, you know, the teams recently that we've seen, Golden State, Cleveland, I mean, the Bulls. The Bulls. Since night, and like you said, you throw the Pistons in there too. They had a great five or six year run. They only won two championships, but they were there knocking on the door. I mean, this—that's the NBA. That's that is the NBA. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get the whole "I hate the super teams, I hate super teams" argument. I, it's must watch. I love it. There, it's the best players in the finals playing, and I'm not here watching LeBron carry a. Zondra Sigalskis to the finals and watching them get swept by the Spurs. The Spurs are another super team. Right. Just because they drafted the players, same thing with the Warriors, they're still a super team. Yep. I'm with you guys. All right. Well, that's a that's a good way to start it right there, Matt. And uh, let's, do it, let's do something a little different this week. Next up, let's see what's going on with our pod's oldest athletic supporter, Krusty Jack Strap. Hey, guys, this is Jake. Dad told me to tell you that he'll be on the phone in a minute. Truth be told, he's taking a big dump, and the house stinks to high heaven. Hey, uh, Jared, uh, maybe I know I'm a little older than you, but maybe we could get together uh, sometime and hang out in my basement. Uh, well, it's my dad's basement, but I'll show you my uh, bobblehead collection. Hey, yeah. Give me that stupid phone. I'll bobble your head and kick it down the stairs, Jake. Now get out of here. Hey, Matt, Herod, Fred, congratulations to Bill Belichick's Patriots who have earned another trip to the Super Bowl. Quarterback Greg Brady played with an injured hand, and when Gronk got bonked, I started thinking that perhaps the magic would finally evaporate. And then in the fourth quarter... I heard a loud chant coming from the Jaguar sideline that sounded like the Bud Light commercial. Dilly, 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 as they prepared to give head coach Tom Coughlin a Gatorade bath, or maybe a Bud Light bath, probably both. But the Jags choked on their dilly, dilly, as Brady made them look silly, silly, even at 40 and over the hilly, hilly, and now they play Philly, Philly for all the dilly, dilly. I think I need my blood pressure pilly. Anyway, I'm going to save my Super Bowl prediction for next week. On to the NBA All-Star Game. I give Commissioner Howard Stern a round of applause for trying to spice up the midseason exhibition. To have captains like Curry and James Worthy selecting other players is cool, but not so cool if we can't view the entire process. If the cameras would have been allowed in to see the player recruiting process, I would support it with more enthusiasm. You can't get anything better than me enthusiastically supporting something. Just ask, uh, well, I guess nobody I know. Anyway, clearly there would be more intrigue and player incentive to perform well. Heck, if I'm the last pick, I'm looking forward to showing my game out there. 
what intrigue or incentive do they have now? In the old format, we had all-stars facing all-stars. And this weekend, guess what? We, uh, we've got all-stars facing all-stars. Okay, so it's Michael Jordan's team. Big deal. If they want to juice up the game, guys, all right, write this down. Here's what they need to do. And again, if the NBA adopts my idea, I want a commission, Stern. Anyway... If they want to, uh, they need to put a genuine prize on this, like Major League Baseball, how they award the home field from the Midsummer Classic. Okay, here's my idea for the NBA. Have NBA fans from each NBA city enter a contest or lottery and announce two winners. One fan will select teams for the West, and the other will pick for the East. The NBA should award a really nice monetary prize for those overpaid snobs for the, all right, sorry, I shouldn't have been so harsh, uh, a big prize for the winning team, maybe even a smaller prize for the, for the losing team, but anyway, take a huge donation and give it to each of the winning all-star players and each fan captain to the city of their choice, and the donation will go towards inner-city programs to improve education, fight urban inner-city hunger, crime, and perhaps even buy a cup of coffee your lunch for one of those hard-working city cops. Now that's worth playing for, and no one will take a knee for that. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Oh, man. Another interesting take by Jack, for sure, and especially on the NBA. Now let's move to our youngest member, Jared, and his three-point topic. I just want to be the first to congratulate Zion Williamson on his commitment to Duke and the brotherhood and all that they stand for there. Coach K is just, he's such a stand-up guy. It's refreshing, honestly, that that Zion turned down the hundreds of thousands of dollars to attend just a school where you know he's going to get a great education, he's going to be taught the right ways of life. Oh, wait, he's, he's getting paid too? Yes, he is getting paid. Do not be fooled. Coach K is dropping bags just like the rest of them. <laughs> People who think that Coach K woos these kids out of th- like 300 grand that they're probably getting offered from other schools is a joke just because of his what stupid connections with lebron james he supposedly has him on speed dial i guess which i completely doubt i bet you it's just a manager who texts it i will say this though coach cal is definitely shook if you saw his interview he said i send billions to the nba billions as a kentucky fan i'm nervous he needs these recruits and as for Duke, why do they need these three top players who all play the same position, by the way? Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish literally all play forward. I don't know how they're all going to play at the same time. And people who think that I'm an idiot for saying that Coach K is paying people, look at his history. Corey Maggette, Chris Duhon, and Lance Thomas all have been paid. And there's proof of it. People in Coach K's program have been paid. Yet he doesn't. He just stands above. He's above all of it. I get he's, he's probably the best coach ever in college basketball, but he is not above this. And you look at it, his staff, his top assistant, Jeff Capel, fired from Oklahoma for dropping bags. Fired from Oklahoma in 2011. The year Capel comes in 2012, they get Kyrie. Coincidence? I think not. So here is a staff member on Coach K's staff who has been known to swindle money and drop bags, yet people just act like Coach K is so clean. Here's a spoiler alert. Everyone in the NCAA is dirty. I don't know why everyone thinks Coach K is so clean, he's so perfect. This program is completely not what it was back in the day. If you look at Coach K's comments, he is the biggest hypocrite. He used to mock Calipari all the time about the one and done and how it's not the way basketball should be. He is completely on that ship now. Nobody brings up those comments It's just because it's Coach K. I'm sick of Coach K being treated like a god. I don't know what you guys think.
Well, I think you said it right on the fact that uh, Coach K has changed his philosophy a little bit with the one and done. He has to because that's college basketball now, right? But why was he saying all these comments back then that were, shouldn't these be brought back up to service, all these terrible comments he had? Fair point. I don't know if it, if, if it was Coach Cal necessarily who like started changing the game, if you want to say it that way. But maybe back then he just, Coach K wasn't a fan of it. And then he started looking around and saying, you know what, I could use uh, I could use some of these guys. I could use Kyrie on my team or, you know, some of these other guys. I always laugh at people who say they hate the one and done. They hate the one and done players only when they don't choose their school. <laughs> you know, like Zion, he was going to go to Clemson. He was going to go to his hometown school. Uh, the Clemson fans loved the one and done rule when he was going to go there. And then once he chose Duke, they hate the one and done. So everyone says they hate the one and done until that kid goes to their school. Yeah, that's also a fair point right there. Is that do you think that's going to be the case moving forward in college basketball that we're going to be sticking with this, you know, all the top schools, the top 5 or 6 schools are going to get these five-star players and it's going to be the one and done. Is anything going to change at all or is this just the world we're living in right now? Big baller league. They both, yeah. The big baller league is going to sweep the nation here pretty soon. Cash above the table. It is. It could be the big baller league. I I do think even if it's not the big baller league I think eventually that Adam Silver will change the one-and-done rule. I, I don't know, whatever, if it's going to be eight, ten years from now or something, but I don't know if it's going to get out of control. Is the big baller league going to do it? I, I do think eventually they're going to go back to allowing high school kids to come in. Yeah, I, th- I think they have to. I mean, LeVar Ball is going to pay 10, 10 grand a month, right? Right. That's what a pay cut that is for these college kids. <laughs> what a pay exactly. cut. I mean, that, that's why Coach Cal kept emphasizing billions. <laughs> Exactly. I just can't stand, God, Coach K is so dirty. Mark my words, it'll be like a paternal type uncovering, and the next thing you know, Coach K will be dead. It's coming. Wow. Wow. You brought up the brotherhood. I I had heard some rumblings of this this Duke brotherhood before, but uh, Jay Billis, he was in uh, in our office in the studio the other day talking about a few things, but um, he was talking to Feinbaum about the Duke brotherhood. And apparently, like, this is like a thing. It's like a fraternity. Oh, my god! You play at Duke, you are literally a part of this brotherhood to where you have access to uh, certain benefits, and I don't know if money is part of it or, or certain, like, vacation hotspots, but it, it is literally a thing. And that's another thing. Kyrie Irving tweeting out congratulations to Duke or whatever. Dude, you, you were there for five months. You played 11 <laughs> games. You're not in the brotherhood. I don't even know if he was there for five months. Was he even there for that long? I mean, right. It might be a stretch. 11 games. He played 11 games. That's a fact. Yeah, I thought, I'm 95% sure 11 games. Wow. The thing about Coach K, too, is uh, his, his hair is oddly still very dark. <laughs> and it never moves. <laughs> he says he says he doesn't color it, but oh. seven, he's pushing 70, and, man, that, that hair is still nice and dark. There's no way he doesn't have some Grecian in that lid. For sure. All right, guys, from uh, from that topic to the real sad topic this week, it sickened us to the core, the Larry Nasser trial and the, the current aftermath. I mean, this is, a, this is a story in flux, you know. I mean, so many things have gone on with this. Everybody out there knows about the predator, Larry Nasser, U.S. gymnastics physician. You know, the sad story is he started at MSU in 96, 97, uh, a young gymnast went to Kathy Clagus and and reported that Nasser had been abusing her and Clagus. This is her quote allegedly that uh, the young gymnast would face serious consequences if she reported Nasser to the police. 
Okay, that started in 1997. Before I get too deep into this, I got to tell you guys, this has consumed me ever since this came out. I mean, I can't stop thinking about, you know, the over 150 tremendously brave females that looked Nasser in the eyes at court when he would put his cowardly head up and actually look at them. And it all really started when Rachel Denhollander first came out publicly and and talked to the Indianapolis Star in 2016. But I can't say enough about the victims who laid it out there and, and, you know, really showed how brave they are. I mean, in the Olympians, Allie Raisman, Jordan Weber, you know, that list goes on and on. You know, we have uh, – you know, I, I, I was actually preparing this week to call for the President Luanna Simon's ouster. Well, she beat me to it. We're recording this on Friday. She resigned on Wednesday. Mark Hollis followed today. And really what I wanted to get Matt's opinion on just to start with here is – Hollis, apparently, you know, he picked today because of the ESPN expose that was going to come out on Sunday, and they played a lot of it today on the 6 o'clock sportscast, right? Yeah, I think it, it's one of those stories that, like you said, it's just kind of it's kind of consumed a lot of people for, for different reasons, and I think ESPN saw that with with Hollis stepping down and said, hey, let's let's run some of this the E60 the OTL story that's going to air on Sunday. Let's run some of this today on the six o'clock Sports Center. And they had uh, Jamel Hill and, and Michael Smith, uh, by Lee and and uh, the reporter or Jeremy Schapp, and then the reporter who did did the OTL uh, piece was on the Sports Center uh, at six o'clock talking about it. And it was it was intriguing stuff. And it was uh, I was I was listening the whole time, and I'm going to be watching on Sunday because. Because I, I I just want to see what, what kind of stuff she came up with. Yeah, and you know the thing is, you know we had the we had the court proceeding this week, seven days of testimony by the by the victims, and you know we know that uh, Nasser's going away for you know the rest of his life, and I don't know if that's going to last very long, frankly. But uh, everything with this story is just tragic, and it's you know Michigan State. Let's face it. There's a what do they got? How many how many students, faculty over there? Forty, fifty thousand. Yeah. You know, it's a huge organization, and the majority of them obviously are great people, and it's a great university. But this whole cover up, starting at the top, people knowing about this, some of the other idiots that are like on the board of trustees, like Joel Ferguson, who's been there longer than dirt. Ferguson actually, in a radio interview this week that I know it was covered on ESPN, he was actually quoted as saying, quote, more to worry about at Michigan State than just the Nasser thing, unquote. Well, yeah, obviously there is now because we're hearing a whole lot about it. You know, I've heard some criticism about the judge, Rosemary Aquilina, you know, being uh, showboating, really making a, a spectacle of herself. I thought, frankly, she was phenomenal. And from what I understand, all the research and all the things that I've read, that's how she is in everyday court. So, I mean, I give her big-time kudos for being awesome and letting Nasser listen to each of the individual testimony. And it was really classic, uh, the six-page letter that Nasser had the balls to present to the judge and then in the sentencing what was it thursday i guess it was thursday where she was reading some of the excerpts she wouldn't release it to the press because there was some sensitive information in the six pages of his nonsense but uh nasser apparently still in denial claiming he was using proven medical treatment and the kicker was when he made the statement hell hath no fury like a woman scorned i mean the gall of that guy 
to th- – I mean, he's in another world. I mean, he's obviously a sick individual, but what did he think he was going to accomplish with that letter to the judge? That was just ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not sure. And that that's one of the things that he said in that letter – or that, that she said in response to the letter is that he just doesn't get it. And the fact that he's still defending himself, saying that this is a proven uh, medical practice – it, it just shows that he doesn't get it. And and that's one thing that, that just, I don't know, kept, kept hitting me was the whole culture of, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know a whole lot about gymnastics, to be honest with you, but just it just in, in really reading about this story and listening to the impact statement and a lot of the articles around this story, uh, I, I got a little more understanding about the culture of gymnastics. And it's just, it's disgusting. These, the coaches were basically, I mean, it, we all played sports our whole lives. We've had coaches yell at us. We've had, you know, football coaches or whatever, you know, yell at us, discipline. You know, you, coaches have to do that stuff. But the way it sounds in gymnastics is these coaches would basically belittle these girls and just physically and mentally drain them for hours on end. And just to the point where some in these impact statements, some of these girls said at the end of practices they were basically in tears because they were in such pain physically and mentally. And they – what has been instilled to them their whole lives is that they have to respect authority. They have to listen to these coaches. Don't question these coaches. If you want to be an Olympian, which these girls want to, if you want to be an Olympian and win a gold medal, listen to these coaches, respect authority. So when these coaches are telling you to keep pushing yourself physically, mentally, all that kind of stuff, you're going to do it. And then at the end of the day, they tell you to go to this guy to seek treatment to make you feel better. You're, some of these girls in their statements, they said they were so broken down, not only are they trained, basically, to trust these guys, they're so broken down, they basically don't can't even like comprehend what they're doing. They're just listening to this coach. They're going to this sicko, and because these, these grown men are making them do this stuff, and it's, just, it's disgusting, and the fact that, that all, so many people knew about this and allowed it to happen, some heads need to roll. Some, oh. some other people need to be need to be looked at um, for for jail time or whatever because it, it, it's it's a whole culture thing with with U.S. gymnastics, I think, and some things need to be straightened out. Oh, there's no doubt about it. You know, it, it, it is a passionate thing for me and, and Matt. I think you can relate to this. You got a young daughter. You got a wife. I got a wife, two daughters. Jared, you got a mom. You got aunts. You got cousins. I mean, you know, you think about this. And, and and the stat that the judge put out there, this is a really stunning thing, but in this country, one in ten adolescents are sexually abused, and it, you can even tighten that up to one in seven young females are abused in this country every day. One in, Think about that. One in seven females in this country are sexually abused in some way. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. That's got to end. You know, that's just not right. And I think we're all in agreement on that, obviously. When we brought up USA Gymnastics, and, you know, it's the big marquee moneymaker in the Olympics. And the way they've done it, obviously, is going to have to change. What is the future of USA Gymnastics, do you think? I mean, I think there has to be a complete overhaul. I think at this point, it's one of those things where they have to completely wipe out. And I don't know what, what the level is, what, what, these, what the titles are of the coaches, but everyone. Basically, everyone who was affiliated with U.S. Gymnastics who may have known anything about this guy or any, anything that was going on, start from scratch. I mean, you have to start from scratch and get people in there who parents will start trusting with their daughters because that's what it comes down to. I mean, you have parents dropping their daughters off 
in this case with, with genetics, and they're they're leaving their child life basically in these guys' hands. Crowley Ranch in Texas, for example, they just drop them off, and and they're not allowed to have any contact with them. Right, that would be one of the first red flags to me. I you know I, I'm not accusing any of these parents of anything because I don't know the situations. I'm not walking in their shoes, so I'm not accusing them of anything. But the first red flag to me would be if if you're you're telling me I am not allowed to see anything, I, I would first like ask why, like what. Like, what, what's going on? I want to just see what, what my daughter's up to. I want to see where she's being taken care of, where she's getting treatment, what are the locker rooms like, you know, that all that kind of stuff. I would just be curious. Right. Because, I mean, I, I grew up, you guys did too, practices, locker rooms, all that kind of stuff. You know, I would just be curious what, what the situation is like for, for those kind of things for my daughter. And I'm sure maybe some parents did ask those questions, and, and they were told, maybe they were told lies. Who knows? Yeah, and I think moving forward, obviously, you know, parents are going to have a whole different perspective on this type of stuff with their young children, without a doubt. Now, you know, the E60 that's going to air officially on Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN, I read the report, and, I mean, it is quite scathing, and it was pretty much, the, the whole focus was pretty much on Michigan State and the failure to control a lot of this stuff going on, and D'Antonio and Izzo were even dragged into the mud, and, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to see changes in the football and basketball program? I I don't know. I mean, this is so major. What are we going to see happen? Just just to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but the NCAA should not be involved in this at all. It's not in their bylaws. It's too late also, as far as I'm concerned. And and you look, and Ember, it's kind of just scary when you see how involved they were in the Penn State dropping, like, the right. wasn't quite the death penalty, but darn close. You're right. And then you look at Mark Emmer has the comment, uh, no comment on this whole MSU, which is just How do you have no comment on this whole thing? Exactly. And apparently he was not notified of it in 2010. But that, yeah, but that's, and that's what happens. People want to comment from you when you put yourself in situations where you should not be like they did in Penn State. Right. And this is just, the NCAA... The whole Title Nine, they just do not do a good job with that. They do a good job running the NCAA tournament. Right. That's about it. <laughs> and this is all from, you know, Jay Billis, known lawyer. He, he'll tell you that every time he's on TV. But, <laughs> but he's he's also he is very, very bright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he has good takes on this kind of stuff. Common sense he's, type of he's stuff. He's one of the first guys that said that the NCAA shouldn't have even shouldn't have even touched that Penn State situation because, that, like you said, it's on their bylaws. They shouldn't have gotten involved. Since they got involved there, it was just opening up a huge can of worms. Because if they wouldn't have gotten involved with this situation with MSU, everyone would have been saying, you know, how how are you going to get involved with Penn State, but you're not going to get involved in Michigan State now. So the NCAA, they just make it up as they go, it seems like. Right. Well, the thing is now... Who investigates this? You know, the NCAA's put their nose in it, but that's not where the answer is. I know, where's the Attorney General office and Bill Schuette been here in the state of Michigan? Oh, the comment from their office is, oh, we're gonna, we were going to wait till the crimin- criminal trial was over with, and then we we're going to investigate it. Are you kidding me? They should have been involved in this a long time ago. Uh, right now, there's only one organization, and we all have our concerns with the federal government. There's no doubt about that. But the feds need to investigate this. They need to take over. They need to run this from the top all the way to the end of this case, I think. Yeah, and if they get involved, it's big trouble for MSU. There's going to be so much more stuff that comes out about terrible stuff that's happened on campus. Well, there. the FBI got involved in the Louisville situation. How long did it take for Patino to get shown the door? Exactly. That was one of the first things that I thought of when – when the president Simon and then the uh, AD Hollis stepped down, is 
at first when this story really started becoming public, they were, no, oh, no, we don't know anything, or you know, we're we're good to go and saying whatever they wanted. And then all of a sudden, when the NCAA announces they're going to investigate and <laughs> going to be some other investigations, boom, they step down. Right. Yeah. First, the, immediately the first thing I thought is, oh, they're guilty. They know a ton of stuff. That's why they're stepping down now. Like, yeah. To me, it was obvious, but but I don't know. And I. If you guys are going to watch that the the show the special on Sunday, you'll you'll see it. But the culture at, at MSU and the athletes, they almost have a mindset there that they can just get away with anything. And it made me think that I had some friends and a couple coworkers who played sports at at Michigan State, not not football or basketball, but some other sports. And they told me flat out that there definitely was that athletes at Michigan State knew that they could get away with stuff. What they were talking about to me were more like. MIPs or, you know, if he got caught drinking and driving or something like that, they knew that they could call their coach and, you know, they, they could just kind of get away with it. Well, apparently within the football and basketball programs, they knew that they could sexually assault girls and it would just be swept under the rug because, I mean, there's there's reports. 16, 16 players under D'Antonio have gotten charged with stuff and, and multiple players, five, five or more under Izzo, have gotten charged. So, so whatever came of this stuff, it's it's a mess, and I'm I'm starting to wonder if Izzo and Antonio are going to last. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes down for sure. And again, you know, Michigan State as a as a an institution overall, I think is still a good institution as far as a, a college of educational learning. But uh, this scandal is definitely giving them a big black eye and well-deserved, and it's going to be quite some time before they dig out of this mess. You know, I'm really a bit surprised Penn State was able to rebound as quick as they did. You know, When you look at the whole scope of that uh, scandal, mm-hmm. they, they did bounce back pretty well in that football program, obviously. Yeah, well, when you have a running back that can <laughs> squat. 3,000 pounds. Yeah, that's very true. One final thing I want to say on the topic on this part of it is um, – you know, we're, we lean towards the University of Michigan. We love Michigan sports, especially football. But, uh, you know, there's, there's idiots out there that want to use this for fodder and they're trash-talking, you know, against Michigan State. Really, people, grow up a little bit. This is not the time to trash-talk Michigan State as far as athletics go. This is all going to shake down, and, and they're going to deal with the punishment. But, you know, this is so big right now, I don't think anything's going to be hidden under the rug anymore, do you, at Michigan State? No, when the NCAA gets involved, it's anything's going to get found, anything at all. Well, we'll have more on this as as our podcast continues, but I think we, I think we covered the the subject pretty well tonight, and you know we'll we'll end on a downer with that topic. Let's just call it a show for now, guys, and and to all our listeners out there, please share your thoughts and feedback. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Z ninety two five Sports Guy. Matt, you're at Burnsy three eight one, and Jared. FastXSports underscore. Also, you can email us at 3pointpod at gmail.com. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan and Fat Stack Sports production with special consideration provided by Z92.5 The Castle. Until next time, thanks for listening to 3 Point Podcast.